If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's open them together to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We'll give our attention today to verses 1 through 23. Mark 7, 1 through 23. As you're finding your place in a copy of God's Word, would you join me in prayer once more? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your holy word, which is open before us now. And Father, we pray that in the power of your word and the working of your spirit, God, that you would conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. That, Lord, as your word goes out now, we pray that you would use it to accomplish, Lord, your eternal purposes. Change our hearts, O God. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes today that we would see, ears that we would hear, Father, that you'd give us hearts that would be soft to receive what you say to us by your word now. Lord, we ask for these things and we pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get to our text this morning, I want to ask you somewhat of a, a personal question, if I may. How clean are your hands right now? Now, you may be looking down at them and thinking, well, I'm doing pretty good, Pastor. No dirt underneath my fingernails. Showered before I came to church this morning. Looking pretty good. Well, the truth is, your hands are probably not as clean as you'd think. In fact, you might not realize just how dirty your hands really are. Listen to these alarming statistics. Our hands carry, on average, 3,200 different germs belonging to more than 150 species. We're estimated to have around 1,500 bacteria living on each square centimeter of skin on our hands. And as if that's not enough, there are between 2 to 10 million bacteria between your fingertips and elbows. And that bacteria can survive for up to three hours on your hands. As I shared that with the early service this morning, following service, I had one of our ladies come to me and she said, Pastor Wayne, uh, in school I teach a health science class. And she says one of the things that we always did that our students uh, loved but also dreaded uh, was hand washing day. And she said they would take all the students to the sink and wash their hands, and then they would step into the next room where they had certain lights that they were using. And even after washing their hands, those lights would show the contamination that still covered them almost entirely. Well, this is why your mama always said to you, keep your hands out of your mouth. The bottom line is your hands are gross. So why do I begin with this gross introduction? Well, because our text today deals with dirty hands. And perhaps it is alarming for you to know that your hands are, in fact, just that dirty. But what we'll discover in our text is that it calls us to an even greater concern. While our hands may be dirty, our hearts are depraved. And the greater concern is not the germs on our hands, but rather the sin that is in our hearts. There are more germs on our hands than we care to ever know about, but at the same time, there is more sin in our heart than we ever care to imagine. 
Our text today begins with dirty hands, but it takes us to defiled hearts. Dirty hands, defiled hearts. This morning I'm going to read the text, and as I do, I'll share a few comments as we go along to kind of give us the context and the understanding of what's taking place. And then I want us to see three contrasts. Three contrasts that are contained within the text within the text to help us capture its understanding. So let's get into the word this morning. I'm going to read, you follow along and hear the word of God today. Mark 7, beginning with verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. So let's pause here for just a moment because Mark is reintroducing us to two groups of people. Uh, that have already appeared in his gospel. Uh, The first are the Pharisees. The last time we saw the Pharisees was in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus was in the synagogue and had healed a man on the Sabbath day that was suffering from a withered hand. And coming out of that occasion, the Pharisees, uh, coming together with uh, the Herodians, began to seek how they might destroy Jesus. Well, since that point in Mark, we've not seen much of the Pharisees, but now they come back into the picture once more. They're coming again to encounter Jesus, and their intentions are not good. So Mark tells us the Pharisees are there, the religious elite, those who are seeking to keep the law. And with them, he says, were some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now, many of the scribes were Pharisees, but scribes could also be non-Pharisees. And the scribes were a tradition within Jewish culture that had arisen out of the Babylonian captivity, that while they were away, the scribes had uh, the, the job of copying the law and transmitting the law and passing the law along. And that continued even as they came back in to Israel, even as they returned to Jerusalem. And as they were going about doing their work of copying down the law, many times uh, the scribes would put their thoughts and comments regarding the law that they were recording in the margins of their work. And that then began to get elevated and began to be on par with the very word of God. We'll see more of that in a moment. But here's Mark 7 opens. These two groups are now coming to Jesus and their intentions are not for his well-being. They come from Jerusalem, and in verse 2, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So having located Jesus, presumably now again in Capernaum, this group of Pharisees and scribes are kind of there on the periphery watching him, but also his disciples. And on this particular occasion, they take notice that the disciples of Jesus are eating without first washing their hands. Now, after what I shared with you at the beginning of 
the introduction, you, you might could perhaps think, well, maybe the Pharisees have a case. It's good to wash your hands before you eat so you're not transmitting all of those germs and bacteria to the food that you're putting into your mouth. But that was not the concern of the Pharisees or the scribes. They were upset that the disciples of Jesus were not washing their hands before eating because in doing so, they were not keeping the rules that they had established. And so they see this happening, and they're blown away. They see the disciples of Jesus not being like them, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, uh, the, the, the key people in society. They're not measuring up to their standards, and oh, what standards they did have. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes had come up with all sorts of rules and regulations about how a Jewish person must wash their hands before they eat. You didn't simply just rub them together and put them under the water and count to ten. No, you had to use a certain amount of water, and you began by holding your hands in a certain position, and then in another position, and then you had to wash for a certain amount of time in particular places on your hands. Now, what's interesting about that is that uh, the doctors today and uh, those who study this type of thing, they tell us that that approach to washing really does nothing to remove bacterial contamination. And that's because the Pharisees and the scribes really weren't concerned about germs. They were concerned about giving a proper appearance, keeping that rule, keeping that regulation. And it extended beyond the hands. It extended to, to how they washed their pots and their pans and their utensils. And it even extended to the reality that if they went to the market and bought all of their goods and produce, that when they came back home, because they had been in the company of Gentiles, they had to take a shower in an appropriate fashion as well. And not to do this was just unbelievable for anybody who was a Pharisee or a scribe. And now here they are watching the disciples of Jesus do this very thing, eat with unwashed hands, and they're blown away, they're flabbergasted, they can't comprehend that they would do such things. And then in verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes bring their argument to Jesus. And it's interesting what they say. We, we can't miss the question they present to him. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? When they use the language of defiled hands there, they're not speaking merely of their hands being dirty, but defiled in a sense that they are unclean and not acceptable before God because they didn't wash their hands. Therefore, they're not in a right standing with God. And as they present the question to Jesus, notice that they're not merely asking about the disciples and their inaction of washing their hands, but they're making a point about him. They ask the question, why do your disciples? It's an interrogation that they're offering to Jesus. Why is it that you as a teacher can't get your guys in line to be like us? What kind of teacher do you think you are that you have disciples who do such things as this? You do your disciples no good. They're eating with defiled hands. 
And so that's the context that kind of sets the stage of where we're going in our passage this morning. So Jesus hears their inquiry. He understands their accusation against him. And now he responds in verse 6. He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. So the gloves have entirely come off at this point. There's no more denying what's going on here. Jesus understands what's taking place. He knows the point they're trying to drive home. So he takes them to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Isaiah, and he quotes for them, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus hears their accusation regarding the unwashed hands of his disciples. And in response, he says, you guys are the real hypocrites here. Not those guys, you guys. And he takes them to Isaiah to make his case. He says, what you say with your lips is one thing, but what's going on in your heart is entirely different. He says, you have elevated the traditions of your rule keeping to the very place of the commandments of God. The two are not the same. And Jesus then, beginning in verse 9, kind of leads in that direction. He follows in that vein of understanding the commandments of God and the tradition of man. What Jesus is telling them is that you've taken all that the scribes have wrote in their commentary and all this oral tradition that you have passed down throughout the years and try to make that binding on a person's conscience, and that can't be. The only thing that binds a person's conscience is the words of the one who has given them that conscience, the word of God. And so Jesus says to them, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Your tradition. It's interesting that through his quote of Isaiah and then his comment following that in verse 9, how frequently in just a short span Jesus has brought up the issue of rejecting the commandment of God and replacing it with the tradition of man. He's really zeroing in on what's going on here with the issue of the Pharisees and the scribes. And now to elaborate on that, Jesus gives them an example. Look at what he says in verse 10. For Moses said, and I would just remind you, the saying of Moses is what was written down by Moses, given to him by God. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. So he quotes the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother that it may be well with you, you may live long in the land. And honoring father and mother, listen to me, is not just something that we do when we're children living within their homes. The fulfilling of that command to honor father and mother carries throughout the lifetime of father and mother. Even as they move into their, their elder years, we're still to honor them as those whom the Lord has given to us as parents. And so that's the heart of the commandment. But Jesus says, look at verse 11, here's what the Pharisees do. But you say, don't miss that. Jesus, again, is, is drawing this comparison between what the Word of God says with what they are saying. Here's what God has commanded, but here's what you say. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, 
that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus is driving his point home here. He's he's coming against the approach of the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, here's what God's command clearly says, but here's what you do as a hypocrite. You take an approach called Corbin. It's a word that simply means devoted to God. And here's what they would do. A man who has gained means and resources in his life in an attempt to avoid using that to care for his elderly, perhaps even ailing parents, says, all that I have has been Corbin. It's been devoted over to the use of God. And in that designation, it would be a sin for me to take any that I have and use to help you, mom and dad. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. In the designation of Corbin, the funds could not be allocated for anything else except for the use of God, therefore couldn't even be used to help mom and dad. But if that guy needed something for himself, he had all that he needed to supply it with. He could spend it on himself, but not anybody else because it had been given to God. This was the the way the Pharisees were operating. This is the way the scribes were operating. And in doing that, they were making void the word of God in order to honor their tradition. And Jesus says, it's not just in this issue of honoring mother and father, and it's not just in the issue of what you think you should do with washing hands or pots or couches or utensils. You do this in everything. And everything you do, you're all about your tradition and not keeping the word of God. And after he lays that charge against them in verse 14, Mark tells us that he, that is Jesus, called the people to him again. Don't miss this. As we've studied through Mark already, we've seen so often that the crowd is coming to Jesus. They're finding Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, the crowd's not far behind. They're searching for him, looking for him. But on this particular occasion, Mark tells us that Jesus called for the crowd. Hey, all of you who can hear me right now, you come here. And when he says to them, when he gets them there, he says to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. Jesus is about to say something of extreme importance. When Jesus says, hear me, All of you understand we better listen very carefully. I don't know if you had any of these conversations when you were growing up. But there were some times my parents would look at me and they would say, do you hear me? And you knew what had just been said or what was about to be said. You better make sure you hear and you understand. You don't want to miss what's coming next. Because if you do, it won't go really well for you. That's what Jesus is doing here with the crowd. He has called them to himself, and he has said, do you hear me? Understand what I'm about to say to you, all of you. There's a universal message in, which, in, in, in what Jesus is about to say. Well, what's that message? Verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person or what defile him. Jesus here changes the location of the issue. For the Pharisees, the issue was what was going on with a person's hands. 
Jesus says that's of no concern to him. He says, instead, I'm concerned with what's going on inside of you. Defilement, that which separates us from God, is not a question of what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. Jesus says, you make sure you understand that. You make sure you know that. In verse 17, he enters the house. Presumably, if in Capernaum, this is the house of Peter, he leaves the people and his disciples are with him and they ask him about the parable. Verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? You know that little emoji that you have on your phone nowadays when you're texting people? The guy palming his forehead like this, like, I can't believe this. That's Jesus in this verse. That's Jesus with his disciples right now. He has just told everyone that was there, listen to what I'm going to say. Make sure that you understand it. Then he gets along with his, his 12, his disciples, and they ask him, what was all that about? And I, just in my sanctified imagination, Jesus is over there in the corner, probably dropping his head, rolling his eyes, going, you have got to be kidding me. One of these things, right? Now, as I see that, I also find encouragement in that. Because I'm a lot like the disciples, and truth is, you're a lot like the disciples. A lot of times, we're real slow to get what we need to understand. How often have we seen the disciples with Jesus, when he does a great miracle, when he gives some important teaching, and yet they still can't seem to get it. And once more, right here, they don't seem to get it, but yet Jesus is going to explain. Jesus is going to be patient with them. And so he says in verse 18, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus makes the case here, it's not what is on the outside that goes into the inside that causes you an issue with God. He says, what a person eats out of their hands, it goes into the stomach. It doesn't go to the heart. Now, when Jesus uses the word heart here, he's not talking about the muscle in your body pumping your blood right now. He's using it in the understanding of his day that the heart was the very center of the person. It was the essence of all that that individual was. It's heart used in the context of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where the Bible says, guard your heart. For out of it flow all the issues of life. Jesus said a person is not defiled by what they put in their mouth, but rather a person is defiled by what's going on in their heart. Parenthetically, Mark tells us there at the end of verse 19, thus he declared all foods clean. Just a brief comment on this. It's really not the point of the text, but you remember Peter is the source of Mark's gospel. And you remember it's Peter in Acts chapter 10 who was given that vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all of the foods on it that he can now eat and enjoy. He would later go on and share the gospel with a Gentile named Cornelius. It was God reminding Peter, hey, this gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. It's for all people in all places everywhere. And so as Peter is recounting this, this event with Mark here, as he's giving him uh, the gospel, he just kind of puts in, you know, this was really the moment that Jesus did that. I was just, again, kind of slow to get it. Because I see it now. Jesus is telling us we're not defiled by what we eat. 
We're not separated from God by uh, if we eat a ham sandwich or if we don't. That really has no issue or bearing on it. He said, so all foods are uh, declared to be clean. And if you like bacon this morning, that might be your life verse. You thank God for that, right? It's not what we eat. It's not what goes into us. But rather, it's who we are. Jesus goes on and he elaborates on this in verse 20. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, listen to this, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Did you hear what Jesus just said? He said, all of those things reside within the human heart. Just as your hands are more covered in germs than you could ever imagine this morning, so your heart is more filled with sin than you would ever dare to acknowledge. And I would remind you that Jesus gave this message, this understanding of where the issue of defilement and separation from God lies in the heart to all of them, to all of you. It's my heart and it's your heart. It resides within us. The very essence of who we are. It's our hearts that defile us. It's our hearts that are sinful. It's our hearts that separate us from a relationship with God. And the Pharisees had missed this entirely. So this is our text this morning. So let me just see if I can summarize it for you with three contrast three contrasts within the text that help us hopefully capture the error of the pharisees and see the hope of the gospel so contrast number one that of external conformity versus internal change external conformity versus internal change the pharisees focused on what was on the outside They focused on getting things on the outside in line and in order, looking really nice and really good. They did this by keeping rules and keeping regulations. They did this by subscribing themselves to a particular moral standard and calling other people to that way of life as well. But that external conformity might clean them up on the outside, but it could do nothing to change their hearts. And Jesus said the issue isn't the outside, but the inside. And there's a grave danger for all of us to become just like the Pharisees, that we pursue external conformity instead of seeking internal change. Do good, be better. But Jesus says that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is who you are as a person because the heart that you have is tainted with sin And so no external washing, no external change can change a person's heart. The Pharisees thought external conformity, not internal change. But then secondly, we see so clearly in the text that the Pharisees were concerned more about the tradition of man than the truth of God. The tradition of man more than the truth of God. This is what Jesus drives home with them as he quotes Isaiah. And then as he gives the example of them uh, foregoing the commandment to honor father and mother and declaring all that they had gained as Corban. 
That came about because they were seeking to hold to their tradition. Their oral tradition that had been passed down, the written comments of the scribes that had been uh, encapsulated and, and codified, they had placed this on par and even above what the very word of God had said. And here's why that was so dangerous for them. Because the only way a person's heart can be changed comes about through the word of God. And when you neglect and you err from the word of God and you simply go the way of a man, there'll be no internal change that takes place. This led them simply to what we refer to so often as legalism. Keep these rules, observe these rituals, be like me, and you'll simply be okay. But that's not how the gospel works. That's not what the word of God says. We must allow the word of God to provide the diagnosis and we must allow the Word of God to point us to the cure. We must always be on guard that we don't replace the truth of God, the Word of God, the Scripture of God, with our own tradition, with our own desires, with our own standards. The Pharisees had done that, and Jesus points that out to them so clearly. And then let me give you the third contrast, and this really is kind of the summation of what's going on here in the text. This is why the ire existed between the Pharisees and scribes and Jesus. This is why they were so constantly butting heads. This is why Jesus so often would condemn them so forcefully. Because the contrast at play between the Pharisees and Jesus is one of works-based religion versus grace-based relationship. Works-based religion versus grace-based relationship. You see, the Pharisees were all about the law. They were all about keeping the law. And not just the law that God had given, but even the laws that they added on top of that. They were all about putting forth effort and merit in order to be non-defiled, to be clean and accepted by God. Just do enough and be good enough, and God will accept you. Well, that's a works-based religion. And hear me this morning, there is no work that you can do to render yourself acceptable in the sight of a holy God. You see, the Pharisees and scribes were a people who were seeking a self-righteousness. And that was their concern with the disciples of Jesus in the text this morning. They're not righteous like us. They don't meet our standard, and we are the standard. So what are you doing? They have no righteousness. They need to be like us and be good. They need to work like we work. And Jesus says, you've missed it entirely. You're focused simply on the outside. You're focused on keeping rules and, and performing rituals. But that does not change what's on the inside. The Pharisees were all about keeping the law. And hear me this morning, the law is a good thing. God has given us his law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. The problem with the Pharisees is they misunderstood the purpose of the law. You see, the Pharisees saw the law, and we could replace law with rules or being good or being moral. They replaced the law or the purpose of the law with their own works to make them accept before God. Let me, let me rephrase that. It didn't come out the way I had it in my mind, so bear with me for a second. They saw the purpose of the law as a ladder 
by which they could climb their way to God, to be accepted by him. And that's not what the law is given for. The law is given to us not so that we can gain access to God by keeping it, but the law of God is given to us so that it can be a mirror to show us our sin, show us our inability, and in showing us that to point us to grace by which our hearts are changed. And that's what Jesus is calling them out for right here. That's what Jesus is wanting his followers to understand. That the change that needs to take place is not on the outside, but it's on the inside. And the only thing that can change the heart of a person is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not keeping rules and it's not keeping regulations, but it's trusting in him alone. And so today I want to ask you, as we think about this text and as we prepare to share the Lord's Supper together in just a moment, has your heart been changed by grace? Has your heart been changed by Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to work your way to God? Or are you trying to be a, a good person and do good works and earn God's favor and earn God's blessing? Because I'm telling you, it'll never fix the problem. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and the only thing that can change the heart is the gospel. And so has your heart been changed by the gospel? Are you seeking to follow the rules and the religion of man, or are you trusting in the word of God and understanding that by that word, faith comes and faith in Jesus Christ changes us? Are you living today a works-based religion? Are you living today a life of grace that has brought you into a relationship? This was the hour that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And they were calling so many others into this deadly trap of being good enough and working hard enough. And hear me, it'll never get you there. But the grace of God can. And so if you don't know that grace today, I encourage you receive it. You receive it through Jesus Christ by trusting in him and believing in him that he gave his life and shed his blood, that he did all that needs to be done so that by faith in him alone, we're made acceptable by a holy God. Then instead of pursuing a righteousness of your own, doing good work of your own, the work of Christ is applied to you and to your account. That he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. And this is why Jesus has come. So today, don't concern yourself with dirty hands. Instead, be concerned about your defiled hearts. And know that the only way to wash them clean is through the grace that Jesus has brought. Let's pray.